0: We have been talking about um, becoming more of a disciple-making church. And we've talked about the what's and the who's and the why's and the how's. And this morning, we want to talk about or answer the question of where to make disciples. And so we have two scripture readings. One is a little longer and the other is shorter. The first one, the shorter one, Um, is speaking about disciple-making within our own local churches. the second one is a report by Peter um, where he um, talks about the need to um, include Gentiles, begin uh, sharing the gospel and discipling the nations. So I would like you to turn with me to Acts 11... And while you are finding Acts 11, I'm going to read a short passage from Hebrews, Hebrews 23 to 25. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now we will turn to Acts chapter 11, where Peter has a report for the church. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Alice. I don't know if we realize how important that last verse was that she read. Then to the Gentiles, also, God has gra- granted repentance that leads to life. We're going to unpack that and explore that this morning. Um, we've got today in this series, Disciple Making Church. We've got one more week where David Burnham's going to speak to us on this idea of taking the gospel to the world. And then we're going to jump back in, and I'm really looking forward to the life of Joseph. I don't think there's a more perfect time to get back into our Genesis series in the life of Joseph than right now. A man who looked at his, his life and saw chaos and said, where are you, God? Um, it's going to be, a, a, the timing of it is just, I think, excellent for us. But we have two more weeks, and I'm excited about these two weeks first before we head into that. We're taking a final look at our final conviction this morning, the final of those five Questions? Do you remember, maybe they're gonna come back up for us as we're kind of looking to understand what it means to be a disciple making church and have a culture increasingly grow at Bethany Church that is a disciple making church. Here's the five questions, you see them behind me there. Real quickly, in the why make disciples, we talked about God's plan from Revelation 7 to gather a redeemed people who have transferred from the kingdom. Of darkness to his son and gather them around the throne, living new lives in a new heaven and earth. It was the big picture in week one, the cosmic why behind disciples. Pastor David then helped us understand that a disciple is what is a disciple? An apprentice of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, one who follows him to apprentice underneath and to learn to love what Jesus loves and align our desires with his. That was the what. Week three in the Howard Disciples Made, we talked about the pattern we see in the book of Acts. The gospel's preached, disciples are made, disciples are built up, disciples persevere. A real simple pattern, but all over the book of Acts. We clarified it, remember the chart we've been working through, we clarified it by talking about uh, four Ps we called them, that we proclaim the word we do this. We prayerfully plead with the Spirit to work. It's the people of God pulling together, persevering. So proclamation, prayer, people persevering. Tony, we got that slide of the, the chart coming up. So we can see that. Let's take a look at that. Do we have it? There it is. The four P's, remember them at the bottom there. The word proclaimed, the Spirit, we pray that He would work. God's people all pulled together and we persevere. That was the how our disciples made. A couple weeks back, Jack did a fantastic job answering who makes disciples. We all do. We're called to be disciples who make disciples, whether it's the formal context of a growth group, a DNA group, or informally with your hairdresser, your neighbor, or kids at home, or out in the gathering place after church. Remember the I can statements we heard from those people up front in church. We printed them in your outline, and you'll use them in your growth group this week. We all can make disciples with God's strength. If we can define discipleship as helping a person, whether here or in our life or in our home or in our neighborhood, helping a person take just a step, one step towards Jesus in maturity, even if it's a small step on that kind of line here of far away that we need to reach or rescued and as they grow and we're transformed and end up around the the king someday. If we can reframe it like that, helping a person just take one small step in maturity towards Jesus in our interactions with them, that's something we all can do. You can do that. It sounds more manageable, doesn't it? Less frightening. We're not going to ask everybody today to go door-to-door evangelizing with us. You may have the desire. If you do, great, go for that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something more holistic, something all of life, something you can do, even as an introvert, if you are. And it's hopeful because actually God is the one bringing salvation and growth. We get to be used by him to plant seeds and love others with acts of service and words of truth. So that's the little quick recap. Today is where to make disciples. Where do we make disciples? And it might seem like an obvious question to you. Well, where? I mean, like church, right? But it's absolutely vital to helping us understand uh, the, the where we are to make apprentices of Jesus Christ. We're going to answer our question by looking in two places, two passages that Alice read, and, and, and two forms of the church, the gathered church, which is us right now, and the scattered church, when you leave these walls. The gathered church and the scattered church, and this matters because there's all kinds of misconceptions, actually, about where to make disciples. Some of us, when we hear the word discipleship, you think of maybe a one-on-one Bible study where you're sitting down with a new believer, maybe, and you're taking God's word and talking about it privately, intimately, talking about the basics of the faith. Maybe that's what comes to your mind. Or maybe you think of discipleship as something that happens on the mission field, out there or maybe far away or overseas in those other countries where people need to hear about Jesus. And both of those are true. Discipleship does take place in those ways. But the simple answer to this question is we make disciples and can make disciples everywhere we go. Everywhere you go in your life. As, because we go as the people of God, the, the church. Gathered. Scattered. Gathered, scattered. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it there. Have your Bible open to the Hebrews 10 passage first. Let's begin by looking at the gathered church first, then we'll get to the scattered. The gathered church, we want to say this about first. As after Jesus returned to the Father and sent his spirit, the gathered church became the gospel hub of the apprentice-making mission. The gospel Jesus sent his spirit at Pentecost, which Peter talked about in that passage when it said what first happened to us, he's now given to the Gentiles. He sent his spirit at Pentecost to fill and empower and equip his people to be ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, Paul calls them, and with the orders to gather together with the sole purpose of making apprentices, Disciples, learners of Jesus, however you want to say it, that's what we do. What's the purpose of a wheel hub? There's a couple of you in here I could ask that would give a much better definition than me that have come up here. But what is the purpose? We're calling the church in this first point a gospel hub. So it kind of matters that we understand what a hub is. What is it? Well, wheel hubs are located in the center of the car's wheel. You see a picture of one behind me here. And specifically, you can find them situated between, I think, the drive axle and brake drums. Look at the camera going like, am I right? (laughs) Sort of? Okay, close enough. Essentially, the wheel hub uh, assembly works to connect the wheel to the vehicle, the body. That sounds kind of important, doesn't it? It it matters what the hub is and what it is does. So it's weight-bearing, but it also impacts the steering of a car and the braking of a car. And you don't ever think about the hub on your car if it's functioning well, do you? You just don't think about it. But what happens when those parts of the hub, which I'm not going to name because they take too much time and I don't know them, but what happens when the parts of the hub go bad? What are the symptoms? Well, grinding sounds much bumpier, shaky ride. And if ignored, your wheel can fall off, actually, <laughs> if you ignore it forever. It's like our bodies. Parts of your body, when they're doing well, you don't really think about them much, do you? Think about your heart. You don't really think about much about your heart, which you might, you could describe as the hub of your body. But guess what? If something goes wrong there, that's all you can think about, right? You can't think about anything else. In fact, you feel your pulse all the time after that. And you have to really focus to not focus on it. That's all you think about. In a similar way in our, with the church, our passage in Hebrews encourages us to be the gospel hub from which our fellowship is strengthened, encouraged, apprenticed in Jesus so that when we go out from the hub into the world, we will live faithful lives. Let's look at our Hebrews passage with a few subpoints today. First, we want to see underneath this idea that we are the gospel hub, the gathered church. We need each other, Hebrews says, to hold fast and not waver from the confession of our hope. We need each other for this. Look back at the Hebrews passage in chapter 10. With me, it was just a few verses, so I don't mind reading some of them again. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast, there's those words right from your fill-in, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, verse 24, how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, back to our four Ps we talked about from a couple weeks ago, we need each other this Hebrews passage is saying, as people, to persevere. Those were two of the four. The writer of Hebrews here tells us to, to hold fast, to grab onto our confession of, of hope. Persevere, he says. It, hold fast, uh, it's the language of almost holding onto something that's moving. And uh, you think of maybe like a bull rider holding on as it thrashes around. Hold fast in life together. If the writer of Hebrews has to warn us about this, that we need each other, that we have to gather together to help each other hold on in life and persevere to our confession of hope, if he has to mention that, then there must be a temptation for the church to waver in all times, in all places, to waver and and to, to let go and to give up on our confession of hope, and not persevere. There must be, or he wouldn't write it and mention it in the book of Hebrews. And in verse 24, he says, we, the gathered people at the hub now, right here, better consider, he even says that word, how we do that. Consider, he says. That's a strong word the writer of Hebrews uses. It's a strong word that implies that together we go through this this scrutiny almost, a thorough thinking in how we as the church should live as the gathered body. Consider, it's a strong word. Scrutinize, think through it thoroughly. He's saying you you better be a considering, thinking people who do not only know what our hope is but also know how to stir one another up, he says in those verses, in encouragement of that hope. That's how we hold on. And in the context of Hebrews, I guess we should define then, what's that hope? What's that hope we're to hold on to and and stir one another up and, and consider and scrutinize and thoroughly think through together? Well, verse 23, it's the faithful promising God. That's the one. And the God of these promises, Jesus Christ. But here's a couple other places in Hebrews that give us an idea of what this hope is. And what we are to hold on to. Uh, Hebrews 3, therefore holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, there's that language again, consider Jesus. Scrutinize, thoroughly think through Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all God's house. So Jesus, he's the hope. He is who he is, what he's done is our confession that we must scrutinize and and think through together, together, together. Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. There's that language again from hold on to our confession. I mean, it's one of the reasons we read the Apostles' Creed together. You're like, it's, it's like, why do we do that? It's like dated and old and people, why do we so, It seems so formal to say something together? In that moment, we are saying not only to the Lord, but we're saying to each other and hearing each other's voices, we will hold to this here because there must be a danger to let it go. We're going to hold fast our confession. There's a why behind the things we do that's one of the reasons it's jesus the true and better savior the better sacrifice the better high priest that's all what the book of hebrews is about the better mediator of a new covenant jesus that's who we hold on to so when we gather as the gathered church whether it's on a sunday morning or hey in the gathering place look at that Or in growth groups or in DNA groups that Jack talked about that we're sort of piloting right now and some small groups that are meeting. Or over coffee or lunch or Bible study or wherever it is, we have this common savior and gospel to gather around and to offer one another. Offer. I've said this many times. If I don't get up here and open the scriptures, And point you to Jesus. What do I have to offer you? Not much. (laughs) Not much. A pretty average, normal guy. Not very funny, you know that. Uh, What else do I have to give you? I have nothing. But Jesus. The great high priest who paid for sinners. And only in community, actually, can we encourage one another. You can't be encouraged if you're by yourself. Only in community do we change. Do you know that? You can't change alone. Do you know why? Because you don't actually really know what your problems and sins are. I mean, we think we know, but we're we're pretty good at deceiving ourselves and airbrushing our own image, aren't we? But guess what? Your fellow members know. <laughs> Isn't that true? Those who know you best or whether it's in a marriage or a friendship or or A neighbor sometimes, they can see you much clearer than you see yourself. We change in community. Only in community can we hold each other when we fall and offer Jesus when we fail. So it kind of matters, the writer of Hebrews is saying, that we keep gathering and holding on together. Because as we gather, we are to be this place, this transformative, apprenticing community. That's what the gathered church is. And as the hub, the gathered church, we should look much more like a hospital for the sick. A training ground for citizens as they go out into the world from the hub. It's not a museum of the perfect, a museum where we put on display. No, it's, it's, it's a hospital for the sick, sick sinners. That's us. As we form and shape and mold and and, and, and support each other and hold fast together so we go out into this tumultuous dark world. Now, it's not just a physical space, right? This building matters, yes. It is a place that is safe and dry and warm where we can get together. This is where we gather most, but it's really about the people in the seats, the people of the pew. The people here, that's the gathered people. That's the people of God. That can happen anywhere, actually, can it? It doesn't have to be just in this room. But the writer does put a special emphasis in Hebrews on the large group gathering. Look at verse 25. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Places a really big value and importance on what we're doing right now. Not necessarily the space, but us here together. And not just because you're gonna hear a sermon, but it's actually about what we do when we gather for each other, to each other, unto one another, as we serve one another. This is a small piece of it, actually. I hope you see that and know that. This it's an important piece. But it's just one piece. And if this is the only piece, there's lots of pieces here that aren't playing part in their piece of the pie. <laughs> right? A lot of Ps there. Four Ps, these Ps, I don't know. You get what I'm saying though, right? This is a small part of it. There's 100 people in this room that can all serve and love one another this morning. I'm just one. I'm just the mouthpiece. We're one more piece. He puts a special emphasis on this gathering. If a disciple is someone who's apprenticing Jesus, undergoing this transformative learning we're talking about, then as we gather, that's who we are. We are the transformative, apprenticing community, all following Jesus together. And the hubris it takes, the writer of Hebrews is saying here, the hubris it takes to think, or maybe foolishness, to think that I can step away from that gathering or a local body and survive as a Christian is totally dangerous to the eternity of someone's soul. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. It matters. It matters that we continue to gather. You see, a disciple making church is one that is so committed to learning Jesus that it matters who shows up on a Sunday morning, not just to me as the pastor. To all of us. In our uh, equip class that takes place at 9 a.m. before church, two weeks ago, we asked a couple questions to our group. And the questions were this, and they get to this idea of the gathering and how important it is and how we all play part in that. The first one was this. Who is new in the past 12 months here? And do you know why? Do you know why they came to your church, not my church, our church, this local gathering, do you know why? Here's another one. This one was really kind of cut to it for us in the class as we talked about it. Have any of the regulars been absent recently? Do you know why? I mean, myself, our elders, our staff, we're just, you know, five to 10 people maybe. But all of us, and, and we don't always do that actually well. But if all of us have this mindset of seeing who's a sheep on the fringe, who's by the cliff, who's just just totally abandoned coming, and had that mindset, we're much closer to what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in chapter 10 here. Do we know this? Do we think this matters that much? They're great questions to ask ourselves Who's a regular who's been missing that you probably know way better than I do? I'm only one person. I can't know even 100 people intimately very, very well. But you probably know a regular tender who's disappeared from our congregation over the last two years. Do you know why? Because it seems that the writer of Hebrews is implying that we should be aware of who is in the gathering and who isn't because of what God is doing in our midst when we gather is of utmost importance. It's the apprenticing under Jesus. We are the transformative apprenticing community. We are, that's who we are. He's in our midst transforming us. And if the writer of Hebrews encourages us to hold on now, as a little summary, tells us to consider and think deeply and... How to see other each other learn Christ, and then tells us don't stop meeting. I think it implies that as the learning hub of discipling, we all have a responsibility to each other. Genesis 4 9. Oh, that ominous question that God asked Cain. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? If you know the story, you know he was dead and Cain had killed him. And Cain responded to God, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, in holding fast to the confession of Jesus together, in the learning and the apprenticing we do as we gather, and the, the glarius, glaring obvious signs when someone is not in the gathering or being encouraged on to apprentice under Jesus, then I would say the answer is yes. You are. You are your brother and sister's keeper. As Hebrews would connect to this story of Cain and Abel. Why is that? Because sin makes us do irrational, crazy things. And none of us is beyond getting pulled into those kind of things like Cain did. I mean, was, was there anything more rational than crazy than killing his own brother over a differing response in God to their offerings? I mean, they both offered something. And sometimes you need a brother or sister in the gathered body to point us back to the center, to point us back, to steer us back to God's people, to steer us back towards our confession of hope, Hebrews 10, the true hub. Jesus, because sin is actually moral insanity. It is irrational. It never makes sense, even though in the moment it does. This is discipleship. The proclamation, the speaking of God's word to the people of God while prayerfully pleading with the spirit of God to do his work, persevering, holding fast to the confession of our hope. And not just sometimes, all the time. Everything we do should encourage us in the way of Jesus to love and good works. Lest you think as I talk about this, I'm some brain on a stick up here that's just like, we've got to be the smartest intellectual church there is. That's not it at all. I mean, of course, we are people that God has given a mind and we need to use, but we never would just want to learn for the sake of learning. That's called seminary. I mean, not really. You you get thrown in pretty quick after that. As verse 24 says, to do what? To stir one another up to love and good works. So, our transformational apprenticing and learning are not merely just intellectual. Of course, we are people of the mind, and we're transformed by the renewal of our minds, Romans says. This isn't just a dispassionate, I guess to put it another way, intellectual only learning. This is a transformational encounter with the gospel and the Savior and the center of that gospel, Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's we are who we are to be. All the time, whether it's youth group on a Wednesday night, Sunday school right now, in the gathering place, over coffee, wherever we go as the gathered people, that's what we do. And verse twenty says, says we stir one another up to good works and love. You see, we want, as Hebrews says, to take advantage of our gatherings, to hold fast, to consider this. And and our Sunday gathering is like low-hanging fruit. We're all here. And the coffee and donuts are free, right? We're all here, right now. The world seems to be straining and fracturing right now, doesn't it? I know you're concerned as we should be. It seems to be fracturing under the weight of our own sin. And not just Putin's sin. All of us in this broken world. With war raging overseas. And here at home, Americans' mistrust of each other and their leader and their institutions is at an all-time high. Loneliness amongst Americans is at an all-time high. There's a variety of voices, a million voices outside the church that are forming and shaping and discipling us other than your church. Do you see see why we need each other right now? We need the gospel-gathered hub for this apprentice-making mission. But, But before you misinterpret, as we talk about the gathered church, we have to focus on the scattered church for a few minutes. Because by holding fast to the confession here at the gospel hub, I don't mean that we get to, we're just pulling up the drawbridge and secluding and isolating and keeping all those others out. I don't mean that. Please don't hear that. Yes, disciples are primarily made at the hub, at the gathered church, but our second point and final one is this today. Everywhere we go, the scattered church makes disciples as we help people take one step closer to Jesus. Everywhere we go, you can interact with a way to help a person take one step closer to Jesus. You know, the early Christians had just as difficult a time with this as we do, maybe even more so. In Acts chapter 11, you can turn there now if you've got your Bibles open. As we focus on this story to close today. In Acts chapter 11, in, verses, in these verses, 1 through 18, we see Peter being criticized by his fellow Jews for daring to fellowship with a Gentile. Circumcised, uncircumcised, that's code word for Jew and Gentile. I think you get it. He's being criticized for that. Peter had this vision you heard Alice read about. All these unclean animals that the Jews were not to eat were lowered down in a sheet like barbecue in a blanket or something. It's a weird vision. Pigs in a blanket, maybe. David and I were talking about that this week. Is that where the phrase came from? Pigs in a blanket. I don't think that's the case, but if you watch the growth group video, you'll get a little bit of that this week. Uh, yeah, barbecue in a blanket. I mean, that's, I want you to remember it. That's why I say that. What took place actually in this vision. Why? Peter needed to see that Jesus is the Savior of everyone everyone. And and being Jewish, Peter, didn't make you any closer to the Savior, didn't make you any closer to God by your ethnicity, Peter. And and Peter, you don't need to go to a temple anymore to have an encounter with God. I know that's the way I've worked through all of history, Peter. I know that's the way we worked, but I'm doing a new thing now, a fulfilling thing, a, a more fulfilled thing. I don't think we actually can understand how, how, how radical Jesus' call was to the disciples to take the message outside their walls, outside their little, close, safe, comfortable community. And we can get it, I mean, because we all have those that are different than us and that are, we would consider the other. But for Peter and the early Jews, this was absolutely earth-shattering. It took a miraculous vision of God here for Peter three times, not just one time. So the vision happened three times. Then he also had to have a timely visitation from these Gentiles that was orchestrated by God somewhere else to bring them to Peter right at the time he'd been having this threefold vision from God. And then he had to be invited to a Gentile home and go there and then see the Holy Spirit convert people. Do you think it was hard for Peter to get this through his head? It took a lot. That's how hard it was for Peter to see that this was to go outside the Jewish community. But then did you see the last verse there? They finally said, and thank God they did, because that probably covers all of us in that room. I think we're probably all Gentile, maybe not. But then to the Gentiles, they said, God has also granted repentance that leads to life. And if this was that hard for Peter, we probably shouldn't think that we too are beyond viewing some group, some person, maybe it's a family member who seems long gone, we're not beyond viewing someone as beyond the pale. Because Peter did that, the Jews did that, We've, we do the same thing. Disciples can be made and should be made everywhere we go because Jesus is Lord of the earth, that's why. All authority has been given to him And every corner of this world is dark. And image bearers need the gospel to shine on them everywhere. And here's the amazing thing. You have the gospel. And you have the spirit of God residing in you if you've been born again. And so here's our sub-point. We take the gospel with us everywhere we go to those unlike us many times. Everywhere we go, we take the spirit of God and the truth of God and a life that can be lived for God. They don't have to come to a temple. We're the temple. Did, did, did you catch that? That's what's going on for Peter there. I mean, the, the temple system was the only system they had known. They grew up with it. They loved it. It was fellowship. It was smells. It was bells. It was whistles. It was, it was, it was an encounter with God. And all of a sudden... God is saying, you're now my temple and you take me with you everywhere you go. Would I mean, you see the difference from having to go to the place, Jerusalem, to the temple to now, boom, scattered out. Where you go, I go. And yet like Peter many times, it's the people that aren't like us. Different persuasions of all kinds. Interests, family origins, political affiliations, you name it, there's all kinds, so many differences, different ethnicities that we come into contact with maybe. Just different, different sense of humor. That can sometimes turn us off from somebody, right? That's enough right there sometimes. We're asked to live out our faith in the midst of people who aren't like us as as Peter was asked to do. That's us. As we look back at our chart, that we've been building on each week, we see the, the orange arrow, the reach there. Remember, this is a continuum here of somebody really far from Jesus over there to having a, a, a born-again spirit encounter rescuing to then now growing throughout a life of transformation until we finally end up around Jesus, the throne there, you see the, or the crown there. Here's what that means. Every person in this world that you come into contact with is somewhere on that continuum. Every person in this world is somewhere on that continuum, maybe really far from Jesus. We're trying to reach them, trying just to befriend them maybe. That's a first step. Just engage somebody, maybe really close to Jesus in, in, in trusting Jesus. Maybe it's someone who has been transferred to the new kingdom and we are, we're, they're growing and establishing in their faith and being empowered and equipped And our goal is to encourage, to hold on to the confession as we stir them up with good works and love. And wherever a person is on that spectrum, which everyone is, it it isn't rocket science. We use the same four Ps we talked about, proclaiming the word in love, loving that person in word and deed, praying, spirit, work, spirit, show me what to do, spirit, give me the word to say, spirit, show me a need they have. We pray So that we can, as God's people, pull together and persevere in this whole process of making disciples, pointing them to the hub, Jesus. And in love and service, we do that. We proclaim the word, we pray together, we persevere and work in God's timing. This has always been God's plan. It was the ax pattern, just in another way. It's the why of disciple making. He's gathering our people from every tribe and tongue and nation around Jesus for eternity the very time that the people of the earth were scattered. Remember when that was? The Tower of Babel. Because of their sin. Now it's gathering them back in to those like us and to those unlike us. Remember, I said it's just one little step. It's not going to be sharing the gospel every time. Sometimes it's just a loving deed that opens a doorway to build a relationship that might someday, maybe it will be an encounter where the Lord opens up something you're like, wow, this person's as I heard the other day, somebody shared a story in our congregation they shared with me of how somebody asked them, well, what do you believe and Why do you believe that at your church? Boom, there's the door. It opened up to those like us and unlike us. See, but the misconception, here it is I want to focus on, is that the nations are those people out there. And they are. Like that reaching the nations and overseas uh, mission we do over there. As if the further the gospel work went from our home base, the more value it has. Now, don't get me wrong. We are called to take the gospel far away. And David's going to talk about that with us next week and bring that message to us. And the church should commission those for vocational faraway overseas missions and give financially to that. And we should go on short-term and long-term missions. And as I said, we're going to hear that next week. But when the early apostles were called to take the gospel to the nations, it just meant everyone who wasn't Jewish. Everyone who wasn't Jewish. And this is the irony. We are the nations. We are the nations. We're the nations. You can do that here. It can be taken to the nations here. The story of the Bible is in large part, that God's people, the Jews, failed time and time again as they were called to be a light to the world. In many ways, that's that's the story of the Bible. The nation was to be a kingdom of priests, a called-out people to bless, to be a blessing around the world. Priests ourselves to represent God to the world. And one of the major storylines of the Gospels is Jesus' rejection by his own people. Time and time again. And so the nations were brought in because of that failing, the nations were brought into the apprentice making mission to take the gospel wherever we go. I've heard some really encouraging stories from you over the last few weeks of already kind of seeing a little bit of a, a mindset shift. I've heard some really encouraging stories of gospel interactions that have happened as we take the gospel everywhere we go. The church is now God's people, both Jew and Gentiles. Those who trust Christ and together are one new person. United, we take the gospel everywhere we go. So this same Peter, this same Peter who had so much trouble with this, who was so opposed to reaching someone unlike him, who was a proud Jew of Jewish lineage and and position as an apostle who needed a miraculous intervention threefold to go outside of his comfort zone, would later write this. You, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You. Peter, that same Peter wrote that, who needed all of that miraculous intervention to take the gospel outside of himself. That same Peter would write this as some of his last words. You are those people now. And wherever we go, we take Jesus with us. So where do we make disciples? This is what our Vine Project team came up with To close, here it is. We've been answering each of these five questions in that team. We make disciples everywhere we go. After Jesus returned to the Father and sent his Spirit, the church became the gospel hub, you probably noticed that's point one, of this disciple-making mission. In every gathering and activity of the church, we seek to help people take one step closer to knowing Jesus and growing in him. This also happens when we scatter anywhere in this world from the home to small groups at work in our communities. It's any happens anywhere a disciple helps one person take another step towards Jesus. And there's nothing more symbolic of the gathered and scattered church and the hub of our faith than the table here. Nothing. Because it's the table where the many become the one. And then we're scattered back out into this dark world. And it's the motivation that this table primarily points to. The motivation of love is the only motivation that would ever cause you to go towards somebody who's not like you or to live in persevering community when hard things happen. And they do and they will in our local gathering. It's the love the table shows us. So we finish here today We we, we land here today because this points us to the unifying work of the Savior, the center, the hub of this mission. So I want us to take a moment, even as our servers come to prepare, for you to now go to